What a time to continue to be here as your intrepid and stalwart host throughout this time of the uh, what's happening in the education realm and the Education Cultural Affairs Committee in front of the state. I mean, there's a lot of things happening at the DOE as well. Don't get me wrong. But, hey, quite frankly, if the legislature doesn't have time to complete their stuff, I don't have time to follow it a long way. My name is Matt Jurekhard. Thank you for joining us. This is Maine Education Matters, where we look at all the stuff coming out of the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, not just looking at it from a historical perspective, but also looking at it from the perspective of here's what's coming up next. Here's what's on deck for them. So this episode here, uh, we're going to be discussing the... Uh, public hearings and work sessions happening in the week of April 17th. Now, April 17th in in Maine is a holiday. It's called Patriots Day. And so they the, the committee is off that day. Now, one of the things that their uh, policy analysts said at a recent work session was that, yeah, just so you know, Monday's a holiday, but you all got a lot of stuff to do. And so... We very well might schedule work Friday. We did try to avoid Fridays, but next Friday might not be an option. So uh, we'll, we'll just keep posted keep and keep watch for that. There might be an additional public hearing or something scheduled for Friday the 21st. But right now it's just Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And by just, oh, I don't mean just just, but they have a lot to do, a lot to cover. And... One day, two of those days are being basically public hearings, and one day is mo- is for the most part a work session. Uh, we do have a couple of, of themes happening on these particular days, and so let's get into what's coming up in case you're interested in, you know, potentially sharing any kind of, um, if you have any testimony that you might want to give for some of these particular bills. Now, I'm not going to go over each of them individually. Some of the topics, you'll be able to tell what they're about just by the titles, but we're also going to get into a little bit of some of them. So here we go. On Tuesday, April the 18th, they will be having a public hearing. And as right now, they'll be hearing five bills. LD 515, an act to require school board approval of superintendent rules and administrative procedures presented by Representative Andrews of Paris. LD 809, an act to allow RSUs with school choice to opt out of school choice presented by Representative Dill of Old Town. LD 957, an act requiring water bottle filling stations in new and renovated renovated public schools, presented by Representative Millette of Cape Elizabeth. LD 1089, an act regarding the authorization of public charter schools, presented by Representative Brennan. And LD 1113, an act to require transparency regarding school construction spending, presented by Representative Adams of Lebanon. So, transparency regarding school construction spending, that's pretty obvious. They want it to be more open, more transparent, because it can get really cloudy and really hard to follow when millions of dollars are being spent on school construction. A school a school construction project is a lot, and it's very easy for funds. I'm not saying they'd be misappropriated, but I'm saying it's very easy for it's very hard to follow where all the money goes. So to make that more transparent. And whether or not we can agree with the methods of transparency is different. 
uh, an act requiring water bottle filling stations. That that's pretty obvious what that one's about. All right. So an act to allow RSU is with school choice to opt out of school choice. Uh, this is one of those bills where some, I mean, there are some districts where you, you might have a K to eight district and in the region or that media area might also have a 60, 40, uh, public private school, like one of the academies. And so as a result, you might, well, you can go to the academy or you can go to this other public school in the area. You go to this other one and, and the district then, then works on transportation to get those people going to the right particular schools, et cetera. So you have, there's some choice there. What this is saying is that, yeah, no, if we're a district, we're a district that we, we, we don't, we want to just opt out of that. We want to make sure that there's one choice. Interesting conversation, interesting interesting idea. The next is that I want to just go quickly on is LD-1089, an act regarding the authorization of public charter schools. And this is interesting because what it does, it, it, kind of, it basically gives the commissioner a veto power over decisions that are made um, for public charter schools. And... The specific language that it says is, quote, the commissioner may overrule a decision of the committee of the commission if the commissioner determines that student health or academic well-being is at risk. So, for example, if the commission were to decide to shut down a charter school for, let's just say, financial reasons, primarily financial reasons. The commissioner can then could then look at this and say, well, okay, there are financial challenges with this school. However, eliminating this school might pose, it's going to pose a significant impact on both student health, mental and physical, and academic well-being because these students might not be able to get to a different school, then have easy access to it, et cetera. Then the commissioner would be able to overrule the decision of the commission. I mean, that's one way to look at it. And not necessarily incorrect either, but it gives the commissioner a tremendous amount of power in terms of the um, decision-making process, takes it out of the hands of a board of people, of, of nominated and selected commissioners from the Education Cultural Affairs Committee, et cetera. Takes it out of their hands and then can put it into the hand of the commissioner. So it's like it's like a veto power. I so then what I would wonder is is that the final or does it go back to the commission for an additional vote, kind of like the over veto? That's not what this does. It's not what this bill on. The bill just says nope. If the commissioner feels that there is a student health or academic well being is at risk of the decision that the commission made, the commissioner has the right to overturn it. Period. End of discussion. I, I can't. I want. I want to hear with this more. More about this. I really do. I'm very curious. Finally, the one I want to talk about on this particular day is LD 515, an act to require school board approval of superintendent rules and administrative procedures. Why do I want to talk about this one? This one feels like why would you want to talk about the so so what about administrative procedures? You know. Okay. Number one, 
This bill requires superintendents to establish administrative procedures or rules to implement school board policies. They already do that, especially for those policies that are a lot more complicated, superintendencies and 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 the administrative teams and also the board committee members often work on creating and establishing procedures. The proposed administrative procedures or rules must be published in a local newspaper and published on a school SAU's publicly accessible website for at least seven days prior to the school board vote on the administrative procedures or rules. The administrative procedures or rules may not become effective without the approval of the school board. This is where I see this being a problem. This is where I worry. Policies at the school board level are meant to be broad. They are meant to be overarching, umbrella-ish. And to kind of have that, this is the goal. This is the target. This is what needs to be done. These are the overall expectations. How you go about doing that, that is up to you as the educational professionals. Now, one way to do that is by having procedures. Right now, procedures do not necessarily have to be voted on. Sometimes they are, but they don't need to be. Because these are the means by which the superintendent is going to lead the district in making decisions about how to implement the policy combining the expertise of the law and the lawyers that we have working for us and the expertise of the educational experts we have in and within the districts. The combination of those two things will create the procedure by which to help implement the policy. That's why we spend all the money on these experts. That's why they deserve so much because they know what they're talking about. But what this would do is would say, hang on, before you even bring a procedure in front of the board, before you do any of it, one, you have to let everyone be aware of what it is, which I'm not opposed to. But before it's even a possibility, before it's even a, before it's even implemented, implemented, you put it out there. Okay, I can see the argument there. And then it has to go to a school board vote. Administrative procedures or rules may not become effective without the approval of the school board. Here's where things get worrisome for me. Because I can totally see this going down the rabbit hole, given that it's going to be through policy that they're going to want multiple readings of these. Now, I can see the fact that you put it at seven days prior. That's going to give people the opportunity to discuss. But... That happens with policy as well. Policies are often done with a, they're done in the committee, then they go to a first reading and then a second reading, and at the second reading, they get voted in. That's the that's the process. The issue that I have is timing. Because for this to happen the way that it's going to happen, the policy committees will need to meet and help to work through and adjust and make sure that the procedures are all correct, which by the way, is a huge amount of, is a huge task in and of itself. Then that has to at least 10 days, seven to 10, at least seven days, excuse me, before anything happens has to go and be put on, uh, on the web and published. Then it goes to a board. Likely that will be the first reading. Then it will go to a second board for it to be voted on. I would see most boards going down that particular kind of path 
to be consistent with their policy adoption, especially if the procedures are in line with policies. So now what we're looking at is a procedure that when it could be just implemented right away is now not even able to be implemented for up to three months. Many school boards only meet once per month. So a first reading will happen in one month, the second reading another month, and the month before that, they were working on writing and developing the procedures. So now we're trying to implement a policy, but we have no procedures to implement this policy for, what, a third of the school year at a minimum? What is that going to do to slowing down the progress and the, and the means by which a superintendent can effectively run their school district? That's what I have a problem with with this idea. Procedures are meant to be specific guidelines for achieving the policy. But if for some reason, as we go to implement those procedures and we've all of a sudden find that, oops, there's an error here, or there's something that in the procedure, in the development that we missed, which by the way, happens all the time with a lot of things, our intentions were this, but oh, we we didn't necessarily think it could fall out that way. And so now we have to rewrite the procedure. Historically, what could happen is that the superintendent could go with the committee chair, help rewrite the policy or the procedure, and at the next policy committee, bring it to them saying, here's what we're doing. Take a look at it. Have you any questions? And then at that following board meeting, go and say, here's the procedure. We don't need a vote on it, but we wanted to let you know. Here you go. Don't need to vote on procedures. Because procedures are how the superintendent does their job to implement the policies that the board enacts. What this bill would do is it would increase the level of micromanagement of a school board into the day-in, day-out workings of a superintendent in a school district. It would put them more into the, we run the school district, not the superintendent. When that's not the way our school board structure works in the state of Maine. The school boards don't run the district. The superintendent does. The superintendent hires, is responsible for hiring all of the staff in the school district. The school board hires one employee. One. The superintendent of schools. They don't hire everybody else. That's the superintendent to make sure that they are implementing the procedures of hiring and they're implementing, implementing all of those means by which they go and do the job of running a school district over the course of a day, a week, a month, a year. What this would do is it would say, nope, the school board actually has more of a say of how you do your job. Me, a person who's never been in education outside of when I was a student is going to now be able to micromanage and look at the procedures that you have and the means by which that you, an expert who's been doing education for 30 years as a professional with, with at least one graduate degree, if not multiple graduate level degrees and years of experience and expertise and training, but we know better. That's why I have a problem. That's where things for me get a little bit, eh. no, this shouldn't be that way. 
So I'm looking forward to hearing what this has to say. I am. I can only imagine where this is going to go, and I can pretty much am assured that I, I'm sure that the all of the major organizations will be opposed to this idea. But who knows? Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I am, which is why I can't wait to hear public testimony, hear what people are thinking, because oftentimes when there are many times in public testimony where it's like, oh, geez, this is wow. I can't believe this is actually happening. And then there are other times that are, oh, you know what? I never thought of it that way. That's the beauty of it. That's why I, I like the system, because it allows people to bring in those other ideas. So that is April the 18th. That's Tuesday. April the 19th, it is almost entirely a work session. The 19th is a day of funding discussion. They will have a public hearing for LD 293, an act to revise the school funding formula. And once that public hearing is done, they're going to roll right into work session. And in that work session, they are going to be hearing, what, 10 bills? 10 bills that day. And making to sit and voting or tabling these, these bills. All of them have something to do with um, school funding or the school funding formula. So I'm going to write through the, read through some of the titles for you so you get an idea of what's coming that particular day. These were all recently heard. Uh, one of the things that was very interesting is the, is the public hearings for these were not that long ago either. Those are a full-on day, but they're but they're finding those general themes and putting them, lumping them into one particular day. So you have, like I said, LD 293, an act to revise the school funding formula, LD 154, an act regarding special education funding for so-called minimum receiver SAUs from Representative Matheson out of Kittery. LD 385, a resolve directing the Department of Education to examine alternative metrics for determining the disadvantaged student factor in the school funding formula, presented by Representative Brennan. LD 889, an act to better support the educational attainment of low and moderate income communities by providing additional funding to certain SAUs by Senator Baldacci of Penobscot. LD 951, an act to amend the state education funding formula to create equity between municipalities by adding median income to the formula by Representative Geiger of Rockland. LD 1158, an act to recognize the critical nature of workforce development through career and technical education by establishing an adjustment for career and technical education centers in in the school funding formula. Adjusting the school funding formula again and again and again and again. Resolve directing of and sixty a resolve directing the DOE to conduct a study on the equity of state funding subsidy formula. LD thirteen sixty nine an act to amend the essential programs and services funding formula to include all costs for the transportation of students, not just some of the costs, but all of them. LD-1402, an act to provide an additional allocation in the school funding formula to cover tax-exempt property or a large economically disadvantaged student population by Representative Brennan. And LD-280, an act to make Maine schools safer and healthier by increasing the maximum debt service limit. Presented by Representative uh, Millette out of Cape Elizabeth. It's no secret that the essential programs and services funding formula isn't clear and 
frustrates many. We also in Maine, we actually have a pretty, I remember where I'm blanking on it right now, but we were, Maine was recent, was considered one of the model states in terms of having an equitable formula, an equitable, equitable approach for school funding. That said, it's not perfect and could be better. So, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I'm still fighting this whole congestion thing I've had for basically a month now. I don't know if you've heard any of my prior um, prior podcasts, but just like hacking and whatnot. I'm actually pausing this one a lot just so I can cough and not cough into that. That last one just kind of snuck through there. So let's look at one that is in, that is, that I think is one of the more interesting. LD 951 presented by representative Geiger of Rockland, an act to amend the state education funding formula to create equity between municipalities by adding medium income to the formula. All right. So, um, right now, part of it is based on what's called property fiscal capacity, which, according to the prior law, means that quote the average of certified state valuations for the most th- for the three most recent years prior to the most recently certified state valuation or the certified state valuation for the most recent prior year, whichever is lower. So the calculation of property fiscal capacity, and most of that is in land valuation. So what this is adding is the following, uh, quote, a property valuation number calculated, uh, sorry, the capacity is calculated using one, a property valuation number calculated by dividing the local unit of government's average certified state valuation for the, so it includes that language that we just talked, it didn't really strike it, it moved it which does that. And alongside of that, along with that property valuation number, an income number calculated by dividing the median household income of residents of the local unit of government as most recently determined by the federal decennial census by the statewide median household income as most recently determined by the federal decennial census. The calculation under this subsection must be given, must give equal weight to the property valuation number and income number. Why is this important? It's important because recently, especially during the COVID era, property values in the state of Maine have skyrocketed. This is not news to anyone who's lived in Maine. And where property values have increased, income hasn't. Income has either stayed the same, maybe gone up a little bit, but has not inflated as much as property valuation. Why is that problematic? Well, if you have a school district that has a relatively low median income, but their but their valuation properties have skyrocketed due to 
reasons that were not there, then all of a sudden that school district is going to be receiving significantly less funds because the valuation is higher. It's not a true representation of what's happening in that district. And so now the school districts will be getting less funds than they might normally get or fewer funds. Less or fewer? You tell me. Uh, language is hard. All words are made up. But what this would do is this would take into account both the fact of the fluctuation of property valuation and median income. That's an important combination. And I think this is one of those areas that's going to be worth real discussion and consideration that I am, I myself am truly looking forward to hearing because just having it on property valuation alone can be really problematic. And can impact the equity and equitable distribution of funding throughout the state. I don't know what the median income would, how that would impact. Would it impact for those schools who need more funding? Would it get them more funding? The schools who don't need it as much because they might have, you know, more resources at their at their disposal. I don't know if it would be better better or not. I don't know, but I'm curious to find out what the thinking is. A lot of really interesting stuff happening in terms of funding and the funding formulas on uh, April 19th. And we can, that's a work session and a lot of decisions are going to be made uh, that day of what happens before committee. So we'll see what happens there. Finally, on uh, next week, Thursday, April the 20th is another public day of public hearings. Eight bills are being heard. And this day is all about addressing educator shortages and supporting teachers. That's all that this day is about. You have several bills that are about um, investing ed tech training to address shortages, uh, increase minimum hourly wages for ed techs and for uh, school support staff. You have establishing alternative pathways for for ed techs and support staff to work in the schools to help address the shortages, financial assistance, and then a, then a bill that's just called an act to increase teacher salaries. This bill, presented by uh, Representative Collings of Portland, co-sponsored by President Jackson and a few other uh, Representative Brennan, Speaker Talbot Ross, Senator Rafferty. So both chairs of the Education Committee, the Speaker of the House and President Jackson of the Senate. So what they are going to do is they're going to increase the minimum salaries beginning in the 2024-2025 school year. For the school year 2024-2025, the minimum salary would be $42,500. The next year, $45,000. Year after that, $47,50. Increasing by $2,500 a year until the year 2031-2032, when the school year starting then, then would be a minimum salary, starting salary of $60,000. 
it was not that long ago that the minimum starting salary was 30000 I believe it was raised to 40000 not too long ago. Uh, yes. Adjustment to... Uh, beginning in the year 24-25, the, the commissioner shall, in accordance with the subsection, increase the state share of total allocation to a qualified school SAU by an amount necessary to achieve the minimum salary for certified teachers and career technical education teachers established in section... Blah, blah, blah. The... A local established salary schedule, minimum teacher salary of less than 42500 42, in the year 2024-2025. So it's changing that from when this, then the, the minimum was 40000 That for, for the 2024-2025 school year, not this next school year, but the following, the minimum would be 425 and then increase from there. Effective date, June 30, 2024. This says uh, the bill will incrementally increase main t minimum teacher salaries beginning in 2024 using federal funds if available, otherwise using state funds until 2032, and afterwards using municipal funds to pay for those increases. So for 20, until 2032... It's going to be paid for by either federal or state funds. And then from 2032 on, any increases to minimum salaries would be done at the municipal local level to cover those costs. Or at least 55% of them. I think this is going to be a fascinating discussion and I can't wait to hear what... I can I can only imagine right now, like, I, I don't... If, if going by history... It's going to be something similar to some organization to be like, nope, this is a local decision. Let the locals decide what the minimum salary is. And another organization will be like, yeah, pay teachers more. Absolutely. No questions asked. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this is all going to play out because it could be very, very, very interesting. And as of right now, that's the week of the 17th, a.k.a. in Maine, April vacation week. So if you are going on vacation or taking vacation this week, I hope you enjoy yourself and hope you take some time for yourself because you have absolutely earned it. I'm sure of it, especially if you are uh, working at Maine schools right now. We are in the final throes of the school year. It is getting warmer out. People are going to be starting to get more and more squirrely. And um, there's still a lot of great time for a lot of great, wonderful learning to happen. And emotional and social connection and ability to just you know make sure you we have fun we have we have fun and enjoy our profession because our profession is joyous and is joyful and no matter what other people try to bring down this profession and to be like teachers are horrible or groomers or whatever it is a joyous and joyful profession and we need to remember that that those yahoos don't know what they're talking about. And yeah, I said yahoos. I don't know. They don't. Every teacher in the classroom does teaching because they love it. 
they love the students, and they want to do good. There, I don't believe that there is one teacher out there who goes into the day saying to themselves, you know what I'm going to do today? I'll tell you what I'm going to do today. I'm going to make the kids miserable today. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to make them all miserable and sad and angry. And I'm going to, I'm going to say things that are going to make them all mad. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure that their lives out of today are terrible and miserable. That's what my goal is. <laughs> no. I mean, we can disagree on the methodology and the, the ways in which to achieve our goals. We can, even, we can even work to, we can disagree on what the goals are. Some of you might believe that the goals are reading, writing, arithmetic. Others of you might believe that, no, actually it's social and emotional learning is most important. Teaching problem-solving skills. Effective listening Something like that. Well, it's not the content that's most important. It's the skills that are most important. Where others might say, the skills are important, but without the content, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not really going to know anything. You need the content to complement the skills. We can have those debates and those discussions and the planning. That's why we have a, the number of great expertise we have in the, in the rooms. But not one person is going in there with the intention of, can't wait to make them miserable. No one does that. Come on. Maybe this is me being naive, the optimist that I have been for years. The person who looks on the side of like, no, nah, people are doing the right thing generally. I, I truly believe that. Maybe that's just me. Even the people who I would spend a lifetime disagreeing with who come at with nothing, with no evidence, just a bunch of belief. Whereas I might have a mountain of evidence. Even those folks, I believe they're coming at it from a place of, you know what? Yeah, I believe this is to right. This is the right thing. And that's, that's the thing. We believe that it's right. And then what is the evidence in support of it? That's where we can have the conversations. It is a joyous and joyful profession. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let, them tell, let anyone tear you down. It's hard when you see communities of people coming after populations of students, coming after books, coming after coming after anything because of their belief and that they believe that their belief is right and that no one else's belief could possibly right or be valid. And as a result, we should be following their belief and not having a place for other beliefs. I believe this book is obscene. Okay. But what if I don't? Why are you right and I'm wrong? Well, it shouldn't be in front of my kid. Is anyone forcing your kid to read it? Is it just there? Maybe I want my kid to read that. So why do you get to say what my kid can't read? I'm not saying what your kid can read. I'm saying that it's there. And if you say to your kid, don't read that, then your kid should not read that. 
But then again, if the kid has the right to read it, the kid can read it. You know? And from any literacy teacher, they're like, just getting kids to read in the first place. Take anything we could get. So I will get off of Rant Island here. And as I've been establishing quite the rant community over the last couple of episodes, um, as as the street, as the as the streets and avenues of Rant Island are ever increasing in population. But the home valuations are really high, but the medium income is pretty darn low in, in Rant Island. So it's going to be a fun week. If you are going on vacation, take a break, enjoy it, take some time away so we can come back, start focusing on ending the school year with strong as we can. Uh, you have support. You are loved. You are appreciated for what you do. Um, if by no one else for all you, for, if you are an educator or you work in the education field, whether it's in advocacy or if it's in the schools themselves or somewhere in between, you're loved and you're appreciated. We might disagree on the methods by which to do things, but I will no doubt appreciate and love you for putting the time in to supporting the education of students in the state of Maine and beyond. So thank you and enjoy your time. We will be back for, I don't know, maybe you'll just have another time. Just be, just turn the microphone on here and I'll just start talking about who knows what, maybe my dog, Rosie, who's over there snoring away, might be able to hear in the background, but thank you very much for listening. I'm going to stop this here and we are very appreciative of you joining us. As always, take care of yourselves, each other. Bye-bye.